So in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus, the story of the Messiah, the story of the promised one, the story of the lamb who was slain. They tell his story from birth unto death. That's what Matthew does. That's what Mark does. That's what Luke does. That's what John does. And they do that from four different perspectives. Matthew is for the Jews, for the religious folks, and his stories run accordingly. Mark is for the rednecks, okay? Mark was written for Jessamine County. That's what he did. Very close, very normal, all right? Mark uh, was a frequenter at Austin City, right? So he knew how to talk to the folks at Austin City, all right? Whether you're from Corbin, thank you, or from Lexington, hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen, he loves us all. Now, uh, Luke was for the intellectual. Luke was the doctor. I will not believe unless I see, but when I see, I will use everything in my power to allow others to see also. And John was the beloved, okay? So John's perspective is a bit different, all right? In so many ways, John tried to talk about Jesus in a way that was and was not Jesus. He is the bread. He is the water. He is the light. He was the word. He was with God. It is both beautiful and transcendent because he walked beside the beautiful and the transcendent. It was he who made his way to the cross when no one else did. So he had a different perspective. So we've gone through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the story we're gonna have, all right? And then the disciples have had their world ripped out from under him, okay? Jesus is, is crucified and he's buried. And as we always do, you get high on something, right? And then it doesn't go the way you think it ought to go even though you've been told the way it's going to go. And you get sad. And somebody said to me, hope is an amazing thing. That's exactly right. Hope is an amazing thing. That's what happened on the road to Emmaus. After all of the negative, Jesus pops back up with two people who'd been following him all along. And he reveals himself to them over dinner, mind you, after a long conversation, right? And it says the fire burned within them, all right? But then the disciples have seen him and they've not seen him and then they've re-experienced him because Jesus has a great sense of humor. The first time he found them, he was fishing. Another time he found them, they were not fishing or they called it fishing, but they weren't catching any fish. And then Jesus showed up and all the fish, right, right, right. And then he goes back to the beach and he yells at him again. And Peter jumps out of a perfectly good boat for the second time, all right, in Jesus's ministry, swims to the shore while his buddies are like, all right, we'll see you there, you know back there, and there was fish already on the fire. And you, you, you catch that? Jesus is on land. They're out fishing. They come to the shore, and Jesus has got his spit with a big fish on it. And he's like, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> Jesus is funny. Y'all just don't get it. Some of you, some, see, see, some of you guys are just a little too religious. I'm, I'm serious. You know, you're, God be with us till we meet again. He does not go fishing. Yes, he does. He goes fishing and he probably had acne. Deal with it. Teenager. Oh my, I know, Rex. Yeah, it's coming, buddy. I promise. So the guys have experienced this. They've seen him, but then he's gone again. Okay. So they don't want to repeat their mistake a second time, but all he told them was wait, right? That's all he said, wait. And so they wait, all right? And then 
on the steps of the temple, the Holy Spirit is revealed to them. There are tongues of fire, these Um, not vernacular, not uh, uh, educated people are speaking a, actually, they're not speaking a multitude of languages. They're just speaking and somewhere in between their lips and the ears of people from at least a dozen countries in at least a dozen different tongues understand exactly what they're saying. And thousands of people come to know him. And then Peter gets up and finally realizes that he is what God called him to be. And he preaches, all right? Thousands of people come, all right? And then God makes them a promise as all of this is happening. It's actually right before the the Spirit comes. He makes them a promise. And that promise is this. He says, it's not for you to know the dates and the times the Father has set. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. I've been using that phrase a lot. It's not about the people in the back. It's a phrase. But I'm going to say it again so you hear me. It is not for you to know the days or the times. This is not just about Jesus' return. He says no one knows the days or the hour, and he meant this. But this is for you people who say, I've been praying for this guy for 60 years, and he still doesn't know Jesus. It is not for you to know the day or the time. I've been praying for my kid. It is not for you to know the day or the time. I didn't ask you to grow a tomato. I asked you to sow a seed. I will grow You sow. That's the plan. Well, when? When I call. What's my job? Be ready when I call. Ready for what? Ready to let the power take hold. What do you mean? When I take hold... You won't have the words. When I take hold, you won't have the power. Okay? That's why I said all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. God sends the power, the authority, the spirit. But your job when you receive it is to go. And here's the thing. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I will make a way for the people who are supposed to believe me in your mind to believe in me. Then I will make a way for the people who you are uncertain if they are supposed to believe in me to believe in me. And then I'm going to make a way for the people you don't even think belong to me to believe in me. And then I'm going to make a way through you to get the people that nobody thought that I could get because your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. You're going to be witnesses in a way you cannot fathom. You cannot do it. I will do it through you. This is the mystery. How is the world saved? Because people sowed and people obeyed. It looks a lot like this. There was one guy in the discipleship crowd that was like the Volvo of the disciples. Really, 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 really rich people don't buy them. Really, really, really poor people don't buy them. They're a step up from a cheap car and they're a step down from a luxury car, but they're always there, they're always running, and they last forever, okay? 
Philip is the Volvo of the disciples, right? Always there, running the race, keeping the faith, doing what he does. Head down, hands on the plow, where do we go? All right, and he's doing his thing in Jerusalem, and God knows this about Philip. He could have started with Peter, but you know, Peter would have been, whose ear do you want me to cut off now? What boat can I jump out of now? I got this God, cornerstone, ready to roll. And God's like, time out, Tonto. Gonna need, I need people like you, but I'm gonna need somebody that's not quite on the horse that big yet, right? Uh, brrr, all right. Yeah, so uh, hold tight. And so here's what he does. He says, I got this. I'm going to obedient Stable Philip. Hey, Philip, I'm going to need you to go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. All right? From Jerusalem to Gaza. So here's what he did first. He plucks Philip the faithful up out of the giant Jesus party that's going on and he drops him in the middle of Samaria, okay? That's like every Kansas City fan this week going to eat in Philly, right? Right? Everybody's just going to Philly just to hang out. It's not, not, not really what you do, all right? Philip goes to Samaria. That was the anti-Jew, all right? We don't like them. And God says, guess where you're going to go? In Samaria. Philip's like, you know, he just goes. That's what we love about Philip. That's what you should love about Philip. That's what Philip should teach you. Okay? He does his work there. And then God says, man, this guy's faithful. I love this guy. And that, this is what happens too. When, when, when you really believe in God and when you're really doing what God wants, sometimes it doesn't go like you'd hope. Ask Job. Come on. You know, Satan comes to, to, to God and he says, I've been looking all over the world. People are going to deny you left and right. And God says, well, yeah, they're human. And Satan says, well, I, I, can, I can handle any of them. And God says, I don't think so. Satan says, give me, give me, give me. And God says, have you seen Job? Satan said, yeah, so? God says, I'm going to give you permission to do whatever you want to him. Don't touch anybody else, just touch him. All right? And he gives him chicken pox on steroids, all right? Everywhere, boils, popping all over the place. Hurts so bad, this guy breaks clay pots and starts to cut himself open to relieve the pain, all right? And he still won't deny God. And Satan's like, well, fooey, because <laughs> that's a good word you can use in a Baptist church, all right? And Satan says, well, that's fine. You, 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 know, you didn't let me take anything that really matters to him. Oh, wait, so Job does what he's asked, and then there's this uh, real uh, challenge coming. Yes. And then he loses his cows, his donkeys, his horses, his camels, his house, and all his kids in the next 45 seconds or so. All have gone. Well, that don't seem right. That don't seem one of Steve Saline's favorite words, fair. Steve, how many times is fair in the Bible? Zero. <clears throat> Zero. So Philip's doing the right thing, right? 
having church where church is. And then he says, I want you to go to the people we don't like. Okay. And then he says, and then he says, I want you to take a walk, okay, from Jerusalem to Gaza. Do you know where Gaza is? Egypt. Literally the end of the earth as they know it, all right? When they say it's the end of the world, that's where Philip was walking. Not only does it say he had to walk to the end of the earth, we don't have a destination. I'm not, not, don't go to Gaza. Walk on the road that goes to Gaza. Why this road? It's a desert. There's nothing on it. There's nobody in it. There is no water. There is nothing but sun and sand. Did Philip argue? Did Philip complain? Did Philip ask for a a, a water jacket or a spray bottle? No, Philip just walked down the road. Can you imagine what Philip's doing as he's walking down the road? Because it doesn't tell us how long he walked. I mean, half a day, we'd all be like, nah, back home, all right? One day for the good of us, we'd be like, "Uh uh-uh, I done lost enough weight, ain't no food, ain't no water, nothing. I ain't doing it, all right? That's... Take off down a desert road toward Egypt. That's what I need from you. All righty. So he started out. Sometime on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? Two things we need to know about this dude right off the bat. All right? First of all, he was African. Okay? Second of all, he was a eunuch. Can I get a show of hands? How many of you actually know what a eunuch is? Got to be real careful with this one. It's okay if you don't know. Raise your hands high so I can, you know, see how I'm going to do this. How many of you don't know what a eunuch is? Okay. Okay. Because this guy was way high up in the government and... The head of the government was a woman, a queen, protecting the bloodline of the government was of utmost importance. So to ensure that no one in the government messed with the bloodline, did things inappropriately with the queen, they removed that which was necessary to mess with the bloodline. That's the the easiest way I know how to put that. That which made him a man is not there anymore. Okay? That's, so he's an African. He's a eunuch. So he's been, his body's been altered, which is, you know, abhorrent to the culture of faith that that Philip comes from, right? We're going to run into more trouble a little later. But he's in charge of the treasury of the Candake. It's translated Candace as a name in some of your Bibles, but Candace is not a name. It's actually a description. She is the queen of the Ethiopians, all right? So here's what God is doing, all right? Rather than send an entourage or plant a church, here's what God does. He takes his faithful one, sends him on a walk down a road 
where sometime during the walk down a road, a chariot would come, which would scare most Jews, right? Because chariots were representative of the anti-Jesus, the government of Rome who took things by force. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's the opposite of the kind of authority that God teaches, right? So chariots, armor, shields, swords, spears, they were all to take by force. The authority Jesus brought was called exousia, an authority taken by whom you are, an authority gained from within, an authority that draws people to you, not that forces them to honor you. Totally different. So this guy rides up in a chariot. He's from the ends of the earth. He's an African. He's a eunuch to boot. And this man had been in Jerusalem worshiping. Hmm. They have their own gods in Egypt. What had, what had brought this man to Jerusalem to, to worship? Philip had had nothing to do with it. The disciples had had nothing to do with it. By the time this is happening, this man has already, are you listening? Made a choice on his own to leave his post and seek whatever there was to be found. I was reading something, I kid you not, this morning. This morning on the treadmill, I'm working my way through tactics, all right? And this guy says he learned something. I think it was from his aunt, aunt, whatever you want to say, right? All right. And here's what he learned. He was talking about when is a good time to, to approach someone or to speak to someone or to share the gospel with someone, right? And he says, we share the gospel all the time, but a lot of time it's not received because you need to knowledge of the gospel, but you also need God to be moving in that person's heart. And if God is not moving in that person's heart, you can say all that you wanna say, but you don't have both of the things you need to grow. It's like planting and saying, I have sunlight, I have soil, but you never get any water. You need both to bring growth, all right? And he is having a lot of trouble trouble with it because he's good at the tactics. He knows all the answers. He knows how to communicate. And he's been struggling with the when and the who. And here's what this lady said. She said, I always bounce back to another verse in scripture. My sheep know my voice and my voice calls my sheep. And here's what she said. I've never heard this put this way. I know that passage. I've heard it over and over again. But here's how she took it. She said, when I'm with a group of people and I begin to speak about the Lord, when I feel the Lord moving through me and wanting to speak, I speak into the room. And then I watch for whose eyes, whose eyebrows, whose ears perk up. Because my sheep know my voice. That was, a, that was a brilliant revelation for me. I preach every week. I see incredibly receptive people every week and I see people who ignore me every week. And I'm not easy to ignore for whatever reason that may be. But there are people who do. There is, an, there is a massive difference in the level of listening hearing, responding that goes on in this room every week. And she said something incredibly simple, but incredibly brilliant. When God's voice begins to move, there will be in the people those ready, those open to respond. 
That's where you direct your attention. That's where you throw the seed. That's what he meant by the rocks, the thorns. Ah, I'm giving you a key to the good soil. Woo. This guy had been to the temple and we next learn on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah. We don't know why he was reading Isaiah, but a safe assumption is that he went to Jerusalem, but he's Egyptian. And so he was making his way through what they were saying and how they were saying it and the language they were saying it in. But he had his translation of Isaiah, which is where he knew that they were. And he's trying to make it out. And the spirit said to Philip, go to that chariot and stay close. <laughs> he didn't say go talk to him. He said, go to the chariot and just stay close. All right. Can you imagine? I don't know if the chariot was moving or not, but this is it. What up? <laughs> There's a dude in a toga just running alongside. He ain't the same color as you. He can't speak your language. But What's up? You know, he's like a secret service guy and the president, <laughs> you know, they have to keep their hands on the bumper. I don't know why. <laughs> don't shoot the bumper. You know, keep your hands on the president for crying out loud. Then Philip ran to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah. Ah, now I know why I wasn't just supposed to go say what I wanted to say. I'm close to the chariot so I could hear, so I could pay attention to what was going on in his life. Woo, if I can teach you one thing this morning about evangelism, do not take what you think somebody needs to their doorstep. Find out what they need and take that. Do not take what you think they need to their doorstep. Find out what they need and take that. Somebody who's really, really hungry doesn't care what you say to them until they care if you'll feed them. 80, hey, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? How can I unless somebody explains it to me. There is both ignorance, childlike wisdom, and incredible spiritual depth in this one statement. Let me explain why. First of all, if you're reading something, why do you read it over and over again if you don't understand it? That, that doesn't make any sense to me. That's kind of the idiot side of this. I'm reading it, but I got no clue. I don't think he had no clue. I just think he felt like he did. Then there's, unless someone explain it to me, hey, um, in childlike faith, I can read this, but I have no reading comprehension. I'm in kindergarten. I'm in second grade. My reading comprehension needs to move up. Can you help me move that forward so that when I read it, I can understand it later? But there's some incredible theology in what he said too. How can I understand what I am reading from the scriptures of God unless somebody explains it to me? Listen, a natural man cannot understand the things of the spirit. They are foolishness to him for he is not spiritually appraised. This guy who has not yet met Jesus understands a deep truth about Jesus. There is something more to these scriptures that is beyond what man can comprehend. You cannot read it without the help of the Holy Spirit to understand exactly what it is saying. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. So Philip crawls into literally what we would call a tank now, right? He crawls into a, 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 a machine of warfare with a person who is from the ends of the earth, which Jesus is laughing about because he's up there going, this is exactly what I told you was gonna happen seven chapters ago. Duh. And he begins to talk about 
Isaiah, but they weren't talking about Isaiah at all. The passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading, he was like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before the shearer. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken on the earth. And then the eunuch said, tell me please, who is the prophet? Listen to me. All of your theology is basically worthless until you can share the center of the theology. And that center is what? Jesus. Who is Isaiah talking about? Jesus. And it says that he explained Jesus to him. He didn't go into who wrote Isaiah, why he wrote Isaiah, what the people were doing when Isaiah said it, why they said it, what it meant. No, 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 no. He told him about Jesus. It was Jesus who kept his mouth shut when he could have opened it and called down the angels. It was Jesus that kept his mouth shut when Satan confronted him and simply quoted the scriptures of God. It was Jesus who could have called people and pulled him off the cross, but he did not. It was Jesus who said, Father, forgive them for, what, for they know not what they do. It was Jesus who gave his life for all Jews and Gentiles. Philip began with that passage and told him the good news about Jesus and they, as they traveled along, and here we go, as they traveled along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look. Now you think that water's just there. Where are we? Think about that for a minute. Right at the end of the sermon, we've been going for hours, we've been talking for days, we finished the sermon, hey, look, a pool! In the desert, the unit catches it. Hey, is there any reason I can't be baptized? We need to stop right here because this is where you, you, you and me get in the way. You get in the way of yourself. You get in the way of, of your own spirit and we get in the way of others. You know why? Oh, you drink too much. I'm not sure you need to get baptized. Oh, you have too much anxiety. I'm not sure you think. Oh, you're divorced. I'm not sure you think. Oh, you, but la, 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 name your sin. Oh, Philip had a ton of reasons, man. This kid grew up with more rules than you can fathom. All right? I mean, I'm sure right off the bat, Philip was like, ah, you're not Jewish. And the second thing is, once we do this, we got to pull this thing called circumcision. And well, uh... That might be a problem. <laughs> Y'all never thought about that, did you? <laughs> That's an issue. See, we hadn't gotten to the part where Paul goes to the, and they, they actually discuss this issue. We're not there yet. They discuss it and they decide that baptism is kind of the new circumcision. So Philip's just, you know, working with it here. Whatever you got, God. Did he make a list of the reasons the guy couldn't be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Oh, I love that. When someone confesses Jesus, things stop. Peace comes when war, what? Stop. And they went down to the water. And Philip baptized him. Oh, and when they came up out of the water, when they came up out of the water. Listen, 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 listen. This happens all the time in the scripture. The spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. 
eunuch standing in a pond in the middle of the desert alone. I mean, can you imagine this morning? I think about this morning for a minute. He's baptism, right? Steve takes him off his shoulder, throws him under the water, and when he pulled him back up, he put him back on his shoulder. Right about the time he's here, splash! He's like, what just, you know, that's hilarious. That's what happened here. Where are you guys? Oh, I'm sitting in church because this is the Bible and things don't happen like that. Yes, they do! There is an Egyptian in the middle of a pond, in the middle of the desert, nowhere near his chariot. Everybody's staring at him and Philip is gone. And you know what the eunuch does? He throws his hands in the air and he's like, hey, oh, and he's singing praise songs in Egyptian or whatever, you know. He did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Woo! Let's go. You know what Jesus is doing? Woo! Yeah, brother, you go. Because I could use some of them finances the queen's got. He changed a man where he was. Didn't ask him not to go back to his job. Didn't ask him to not, no, 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 no. Go be who you are, where you are. I'm about to take this thing to the ends of the earth. And you've got the finances. He started with the treasurer. Because he, well, disobedience caused him to lose his. Can I get an amen? Better watch out. Some of y'all are like, what? Judas! What does it take to change the world? Obedience. Obedience without excuse. But it's hot, so. But I don't, so. I can't speak. Talk to Moses. Right? I don't have any power. Talk to the fishermen. I'm not a preacher. Talk to Peter. But I've been bad all my life. Talk to Saul. Oh, wait, name's not Saul anymore. Paul, who is getting ready to have the conversion of a lifetime in the next chapter. Right after this, Jesus says, now I got the money, I need the man. And he finds the guy killing the most Christians and says, you the man. And we get 12, 13 books of the New Testament from that man. Obedience without excuse. Take Jesus. It's all you need. And there's no judgment here. I don't care how much you smoke, how much you drink, how many bad things you think you've done. I don't care how old you are, how young you are. I don't care what your situation is yesterday. I don't care what it is today. I don't care what it is tomorrow. Here's what I know. Jesus saves. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers of darkness. Nothing can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus. The question is, is he calling? If he's calling, there's a second question. Will you answer? for obedience, for response, for life. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the celebration of what you have done in the lives of Olivia and of E today. 
I thank you for the family and friends that have shown up. I thank you for the members and non-members that have shown up. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you that I can, in my ignorance, though, be confident of this, that your word does not return void, that if I, I stick to your word and we preach your word and we study your word, that there will be amazing and powerful and mighty things happen in your will and your way. You will provide the people. You will provide the power. You will provide the finances. And God, we don't just know that. We believe it and we act on it. That is our goal. That is our mission. So call us to the desert road, God. Call us to the desert road. Place us in the sand. Allow us to see you move and then move us elsewhere. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room, man or woman, boy or girl, teenager or adult, spouse, friend, parent, grandparent, if there's anybody in this room that would, would want Jesus in their life, would want to celebrate baptism, would want us to leave the water and the heaters in the pool, that you would bring them to, to Preston, to side, to myself, to somebody sitting in their pew, and that they would be able to say, I am a sinner. I need a savior. Is there anything keeping me from being baptized? Nothing, my friend, nothing. In Jesus' name. Amen.